So I do want to let you know, church family, we're, uh, you know, we're, um, I, I say that often as far as uh, us being a church family, good or bad, <laughs> good or bad. And, and the reason why I always bring it up is because um, is sometimes we, we act like family in the sense to where, you know, it is the, the latter, <laughs> bad, right? But we need to continue to grow and then stick together and continue to move forward. Um, but, um, you know, we, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And um, this morning, we're, we're doing both, you know, in the sense to where we're coming alongside the Chamber family. Um, it was um, just the other day. When, as someone um, put it, um, that uh, Rosemary has graduated and she is now in the presence of the Lord. Um, so she has gone home to be with her. With, uh, she has gone home to be with him. Uh, but I do want to share something that continued to come up with the family. Um, Aaron and Rick are here and Rick's sister. And um, so... Uh, I want to let you know that the one thing that I kept hearing from you is that in the midst of her of her suffering of her pain, um, she she did not stop praising the Lord. She kept in, she kept thanking the Lord, she kept praising Him, and in that that final day, in fact, I believe all of you said that you collectively came together, I don't know if it was separately or together, but I know all of you were on the same page as far as that's concerned, and that is that you were asking the Lord for mercy, right? And, and the Lord was merciful, and, and the Lord um, took Rose to be home with him. That's what, that's what his choice was at that moment. And so that's why I'm saying that as a family... As a family, we uh, we we're with you, okay, and um, we uh, our desire is, is to bless you guys as we come alongside you. And if there's anything that you need, you can ask anyone here. Um, and even if you don't ask, we're gonna come alongside you. Uh, our prayers are with you, and more than that. Um, we're here to serve you, okay, and love on you. So we we come alongside in that manner, and we also rejoice, though, because soon enough we will celebrate all together, right? We will celebrate the life of Rose, uh, but more importantly, we're going to celebrate the God of Rose, right? And so we're going to come together for that. We'll give you um, details as far as um, that is concerned uh, in the coming days as uh, as Rick and Aaron and the family come together and make some decisions as far as that's concerned. So, just just so you know, um, in fact, that last song, Ray, you guys, yeah, that was uh, that was definitely the the, the very thing that um, Rosemary uh, she was longing for. In fact, she she was she was ready. She was ready a while ago, <laughs> and she, she kept saying that she wanted to be with Jesus, 
And, uh, and so I, I thought that last song was absolutely fitting. Um, and uh, so anyway, I wanted to pass along to you, family, uh, about, um, you know, Rosemary going home to be with the Lord. Um, <clears throat> I also just want to say something else, though, is that it's amazing how it is that the Lord meets us right where we are. Um, if I may, Victoria, can I? Is it okay? Because this, this was absolutely amazing um, also. What was it, was it uh, Friday? It was Friday, right? Yeah, so, all right. So Friday, I'm, um, I, I get a text from Bettina saying that Victoria was in the hospital. And um, um, she's due on September 14th. September 14th. Little Benjamin is due September 14th. Okay. Um, he, he was, it seemed like he wanted to come early. <laughs> so she was in the hospital and I was there at the hospital when I get a text and then, you know, I, I go up and see her and Tony was there. And, um, so, um, he was breached, but then not only that, uh, he was also, his, his heart rate was, um, low. And so it was irregular. Now, some things I want to, I want to just let you know what had, had happened up to that point. Number one, she hadn't eaten, right? She hadn't eaten. It's like all of this, you could say, is a divine coincidence. She hadn't eaten. Um, they were at the point to where they wanted to do perform a C-section. And because they were, uh, you know, of course, concerned about little Benjamin. And um, so they were going to deliver him uh, a month early. And um, so we were there, and had she eaten, of course, that kind of complicates things as she's going into this surgery, right? Um, So she hadn't eaten. She had just so happened to go in for her regular appointment that day. So she was seen by the doctor, and all of this just worked together to take care of Victoria and Benjamin. Now, they were getting ready. In fact, the anesthesiologist was in your room, right? was right there, just ready. And we had prayed. So I had left by that time. Um, but we prayed and asked the Lord, you know, of course, you know, that for Victoria's safety and Benjamin's safety and their health. Uh, but at the same time, we were asking, Lord, <laughs> you know, leave them in there a while longer. We prayed that everything would, would go well and that things would change. And uh, Victoria's here, so obviously she didn't have the C-section. Because that would be a miracle in and of itself. (laughs) But I I wanted to also give you that because the Lord answered that prayer in that moment. I mean, when, um, in fact, we were here, we were about to start the leadership meeting, and I'm told that Victoria's going home. Like, what? You know, (laughs) that's awesome, Lord. That is absolutely amazing. Um, the Lord answers prayer in so many different ways. And whatever is going on in your life, um, as Mario shared, you know, ask without doubting. Just know that we have a sovereign God, God who is able and he uh, desires um, to bring about his purpose and his will in your life. Um, sometimes he takes away the pain. Sometimes he fixes things. But there's other times when he still answers the prayer 
and he l- allows things to go along in such a way that he has uh, his perfect will accomplished. And it's for other reasons and it's for other purposes. And so no matter what, we need to praise God and know that he is our good, good father in all moments at all times. And, uh, and so I just wanted to share that just because it was this, you know, that's also praiseworthy as well as the chamber family. I know that you're going to miss her dearly and we all miss her dearly. At the same time, she's with the Lord in that very place that we long to be. And one day, if you uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, have surrendered your life to him, you're, you're going to see her too. Uh, only she's going to be there a little while longer than, than you are. And that's, that's the only difference. The only thing is that she's just beginning her time with the Lord for eternity. Right? Just starting. And for us, we will be there one day. And so, um, I know the one thing that um, Rosemary would come and enjoy is being taught the Word of God, going through the Word. And so, that's exactly what we're going to continue to do this morning. Um, That's what we've come to know, right? We come together and we go through the Word of God, line by line, chapter by chapter, and we allow Him to do His work through His Word uh, in each and every one of our lives. And so... Let's pray, and then we'll get into the last part, part 6 of Matthew chapter 5. All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us. And we do give you all the praise and all the honor, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, we have that hope of one day being in your presence for all eternity as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's with that that we come to you this morning rejoicing, Lord, for that hope and also in the hope that we find in your word as we continue to study your word. Lord, it gives us everything, everything, Lord, that pertains to life and godliness. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, Father. I pray that your spirit would give us understanding. And Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior and as Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of perhaps recommitting our lives to you, Lord, anyone who has strayed uh, from you, Lord, and gone a different direction, I pray, Lord, that you, the God of love, who is love, would reveal yourself to each and every one of us in a special way this morning. Speak to us this morning, Father, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the last part of um, this chapter Uh, And again, the title continues, but I say, and I just want to uh, continue where we left off last week, and that is just a reminder that God is the sovereign authority who has perfect knowledge of His Word and what He means by it. Jesus taught with authority. That's one of the things at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that everyone is absolutely astonished by. Here is a teacher. All the other teachers, uh, they didn't teach with a personal authority. They taught under the authority of someone else. But here is Jesus who is teaching with complete and perfect authority. And they were astonished. But he could do do that because he's God. 
The religious leaders of the time had been interpreting the law in their own way, not possessing really a full understanding of the law, you could say. Even though they knew the letter of the law, they didn't quite grasp it fully. Jesus goes over six areas of the law that the scribes and Pharisees were wrongly interpreting. We're going to go over the last two this morning. Today, this serves as a correction to the way that they had perceived and applied the law up to this point in the verses that we're going to cover. But today, there are people who will say things, again, that sound very good, right? You hear them and it's like, that sounds really good. But it's just a little bit that makes it wrong, completely wrong. A text taken out of context, taken out of context is a pretext to whatever it is that you want it to say. And so that's why we always want to look at Scripture in context. I can tell you that even the teachers of that time, they were taking the very Word of God out of context. They were adding to it. And we're going to learn that this morning. But Jesus brings clarity to these subjects. We're going to cover retaliation and then enemies, how it is that we handle enemies. Um, But more importantly, that latter one has more to do with knowing and expressing godly love. And that's really the bottom line. And I really do pray that we allow God's word again to correct any misconceptions that we may have up to this point regarding these subjects in particular. Now let's talk about retaliation. In fact, let's read through the rest of Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38, and then we'll, we'll come up to re- retaliation. All right. So you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." Now, retaliation. Is it not in us to retaliate? It is, isn't it? It's called payback, right? We want to retaliate. We want to hit back when we're hit. Now, what we see here in the first verse that we covered, in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this was a part of the law and is a part of the law that was handed down by God to be handled in actually limiting retribution for the civil government. But what happened is that the religious leaders moved this command out from where God had intended it to be 
from civil to personal. You see, what it is, is that the law limited for justice to be applied in a like manner. See, what we would like to do is, oh, you did that to me? Oh, wait till I get you back. It'll be twice what you did to me. Don't we? I mean, we're inclined to do that. Are we not? We are. We, we just want to hit, twice as, uh, hit back twice as hard. So this, as it pertained to the law, was to limit that justice was to be handled and applied, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Many times, again, people want to apply more justice than the loss that was experienced. We see it today. The Lord took that law, and he says, But I say to you, and Jesus took the time to correct what the religious leaders of the time were teaching. But it went beyond just correcting the original intention of the law. He was also teaching a principle that goes against our flawed nature of taking revenge that goes above and beyond against someone else. Not only do you not pursue someone and apply a like and just penalty is what we're going to learn this morning, but you do not pursue that action at all. You, you practice restraint. You practice a humility that glorifies and magnifies the Lord. So you don't pursue it at all? Like, what about justice, Lord? Right? Jesus, you mean I am to simply take this evil that has been handed to me without doing anything in return? That's what he said. That's what he said right here. But the, the, the question is why? Why would he say such a thing? Well, Number one, because in so doing, you are trusting God to defend you. Number two, it is so out of our natural response as people that it gets the attention of the person who committed the offense and also all kinds of other people that are witnesses to that very thing. It gets your attention. That's not normal. Someone, there's something wrong with you, or maybe something right with you. The Mishnah is the authoritative collection of writings, a book that's put together, that was put together, which it contains the oral traditions of Jewish law. And it's in the, in the Mishnah that we have, and I quote, one who slaps his fellow, he gives him 200 sus. With the back of the hand, he gives him 400 sous. This is the principle. It is all according to the person's honor. Close quote. So, Jesus knew this. He knew Jewish oral tradition. He knew exactly what the teachers of the time were teaching. And he wanted to bring clarification to his law, in the spirit of law, and how it was that we were to apply the law in our own lives. Now, Jesus wasn't referring to the physical part of it, but the offensive insult of this act. According to the Mishnah, it was punishable, and it was a very expensive fine. You know, to be slapped 
with an open hand is one thing, but to be slapped with the back of the hand, oh, that's twice as bad, twice as insulting, and you're going to have to pay twice the fine. So it's more of the insult that was applied. At the same time, we shouldn't take this as Jesus saying that we should not resist evil. Okay? We're, we're going to walk this out. Uh, not that we would just face an attacker physically and not do a thing. You know, here we have fists flying, we have a baseball bat taken out on us, and we are to just sit there, and you hit me on one side, well, the Lord says to turn to you the other side. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what he's saying. If someone comes at you in that manner, then please defend yourself, okay? And um, you need to do that from having any physical harm caused to you. What Jesus is teaching his disciples is, that, is to have self-control, when? When faced with personal insults and to allow him to defend you. In so doing, his work can be accomplished in the situation and not that of the flesh, the world, or the enemy. You know, often when we're, um, you know, our, our pride is hurt, we could be really quick to come back with something that is, is far worse than what's been done to us we come back and we're quick to do that our tongue can just fly right and we say things that we we can't take back so this is more of understanding the humility that we are to exemplify before others know this beforehand because when you are deliberate about this when you come to understand what the what the lord is teaching us this morning what happens is you're prepared for that moment. That, that moment to where you're insulted, you remember quickly, oh, the Lord told me to be self-controlled, and I can only do that by the Spirit of God. You want to say something? Guard it. Stop. Think about who you belong to and who, are, who you are to honor and glorify. And also know that he desires to defend you, but he'll do it in his way. There's more to it, though. It's because it's not all about the person who's being insulted. There's more to it. By us not responding in the way that the world expects us to, it can diffuse a situation. You know, when you do, don't like quickly come back to someone and respond, kind of like it takes the sails out of their wind. It, it's like you're going to pour the fuel and then you hold it back. There's no more fuel. And it tends to diffuse the situation. And it causes confusion in the one who's casting the insults. Doesn't it? It's like, hmm. I would expect a rise from you. And there's nothing there. It's, and it's in a good way. Christians really are not to defend themselves out of a sense of pride. Christians are to possess a spirit of non-vengeance and non-retaliation. I, I see it a lot. I see it all over the place how we always want to come back and we want to hit as well. And what we're learning this morning in retaliation is don't do it. Don't do it. If, it, if it's just like insulting you, just, just know that if, 
if there's nothing there for them to carry out and it wouldn't apply to you, then let it go. Let it go. It's, it's an insult. Fine. I'll turn the other cheek and I'll allow you to take another whack if that's what you want to do. But I don't have to defend myself. I'll leave it up to the Lord. Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary to China. And one day or one evening, uh, he had been on the riverbank of, uh, of a river and, and he hailed a boat to come and pick him up to take him across to the other side of the river. Uh, this wealthy Chinese man, um, as the boat came along, uh, he saw Hudson Taylor. He didn't know it was Hudson Taylor because Hudson Taylor um, dressed. He took on the whole appearance of a Chinese man. So this, this wealthy man, he, he pushed Hudson Taylor to the side with such force that he fell in the mud. He fell in the mud and, uh, and he told him, I'm here to pick up uh, a wealthy foreigner. <laughs> he says, he says, stand back. And once he realized what he did, he was so embarrassed. And he took Hudson and he brought him in. And Hudson at that point was able to tell him that the love of Christ was the very thing that constrained him. And he didn't say anything back to the man. And it was at that moment that he was given an opportunity to witness for Christ. That's what I'm talking about. Is that these moments that you hold back, that you practice self-restraint, will serve many times as opportunities at some point to witness for Christ. Because if that person isn't the one asking you, what is it about you? What, what, what is it? How is it that you're not coming back with something? Someone else will. They're like, oh, I, I just saw everything that was going on. And I just have to ask you, you know, you didn't say anything back to him. Oh, it was the love of Christ that constrained me. Really? How can you do that? Because that's not normal. You're right, it's not normal. It's out of this world. It's divine. It's only by the Spirit of God. And so you can have that moment to where you can witness to that person. That is what it's all about. To glorify the Lord. Not only in ourselves, but also serve as opportunities to perhaps witness to someone how it is, why it is, that you are the person that you are. Secondly, verse 40 it says, And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. The tunic was a clothing that was worn next to the skin. You could say, let's say in, in, in our day, like a suit shirt, and then you have the cloak, which was, let's just say, the coat. Okay, so this is the perspective that we are to have when someone, especially an unbeliever, takes a Christian to court for an unjust reason. A Christian is not to have a spirit of bitterness and revenge. This is all about that. This is all about retaliation, bitterness, revenge. I want to get you back, that kind of thing. A Christian should not have that. You need to protect yourself against that. How do you pre prevent this from happening? Well, again, going back to having a predetermined mindset from the beginning. 
knowing this full well. You see, James 1 tells us that if we lack wisdom, we can ask the Lord without doubting and we will receive. He will give to us that wisdom without holding back. As we go through the word of God and we come across a section like this, how is it that we're prepared with a predetermined mindset? Well, it's the mind of Christ that we have. As we go through the word, we learn it, we understand how to apply it in our lives to his glory. So we have that from the beginning. Not again, not that you won't defend yourself in a court of law, but that you would be willing to give even a little more, knowing and trusting that God will supply your needs. Oh, you want my shirt? I, I, that's fine. If the shirt is what you want, I'll give you my cloak also. There is a deliberate, predetermined position that a Christian is to stand in if subjected to such a situation. It's again going back to trusting who the Lord is in our lives. It's like, if this is what you're requiring of me, I'm just going to go ahead and... You want to play tug of war? That's fine. You can have the rope. I'm I'm not going to play this going back and forth. Why? Because I know that God will supply my needs. All this is continuing to travel down this path of the final portion of our study this morning. The third example, verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Two miles. Well, at the time of Christ, the Jews were under Roman rule. And the Roman law required any person who was approached by a Roman official, also a Roman soldier and was compelled by a Roman soldier to carry their their shield or their sword, some equipment that they had. If it was a Roman official, it could be some anything that they had. Well, the person was compelled, and they were required to carry that for one mile. Now, you think that the Jews like this? Absolutely not. They hated this. We're required to go one mile. Ugh. You know, here I go, you know. It's like, I'll grab your stuff and let's go. Right? You, you ever have something that you are required to do? You may do the same thing. In your, in your job? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're required to do it. They were required to do that. Go one mile. Jesus was teaching them to guard against this being willing to go, by being willing to go two miles. They require you to go one mile. And Jesus, let me give you some clarification here. Go with them two miles. Two miles. It was thought of this way. The first mile, okay, I'll render it to Caesar. The second mile, I'll render it to God. It belongs to him. Now, I believe that if done in this manner, I believe that both miles are rendered to God. Not the one, but two. 
Because going back to like 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that was from beginning to end. You're being obedient to the Lord. You know what? Obey the laws of man. As long as they're not contrary to the word of God, obey man's laws. All right? So as we are obedient to the word of God, is it only after we get finished with the law of man that we are now obedient to the Lord? No, no, no. From beginning, right? Because we're obedient to God. And we are rendering to God what he commands us and tells us and teaches us in his word. Both miles, I believe, are rendered to God because this type of perspective and deliberate response rejects a revengeful spirit and gives room to God to work what he wills. The whole way through. Can you imagine, I mean, your perspective is different. Right? You're going the first mile and it's for God. Isn't it a whole different attitude? You're walking along with a Roman soldier. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Is everything going okay for you? What? Why are you talking to me? I just want to know. Oh, it's a whole different perspective. If you were socially persecuted at your job, given the low jobs because you were a Christian, have you ever been there? Would you go the extra mile? Would you do it? And of course, I hope so, because this is the right way to get the attention of the unbelieving world. It's what Jesus was teaching and expects of Christians. It's like, you want to know what God expects? This is exactly what God expects. This is the standard that God is teaching us this morning from start to finish. Fourth example. Let's continue. Verse 42 says, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Beggars and those who are in need, right? Give and do not refuse the one who's in need if you have the means. Now, at the same time, we have a lot of people who, who are asking for handouts. And this does not mean that you don't exercise discernment and become this gullible person that, well, the word tells me to just, someone asks, I give them, right? Someone's in need, and you know they're in need, give to them, Right? Because what we see in our, in our streets, okay, we see people who are oftentimes loaded, right? All drugged up, they're drunk, and I have had a lot of conversations with a lot of people out there. They do not have any desire to work at all. I'm not saying that all of them are in this place. But I'm saying, exercise your discernment there. Because if you just freely give to someone who is obviously intoxicated, most of the time, what they're going to do is they're going to take that money and they're going to go straight into the liquor store and get some more. So you, you serve not, uh, as, as God would, you're not exercising discernment, but... What happens is you're an enabler of the very thing that they're in bondage to. Sometimes if someone says that, well, I'm hungry. Well, okay, let's, let's go get something to eat. Let's go grab a burger. And uh, 
sometimes it it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like uh, they'll, and they'll say, "Never mind." So this is not saying to not be discerning. Now, if the Spirit is moving you to give, whom oh I I don't want to stand in the way of that. I'm just telling you, give, provide. They're asking, then do it if the Lord's telling you to do it. To the one who is in need, you give and don't refuse. At the same time, don't give begrudgingly, but let it be a free act of love. Not out of duty, in other words. You know what I mean? It's like, well, the, the law tells me, and that's how we look at it, because you don't have to say the Bible or the Word of God. You're like going back to wanting to be an abider of the law, you know, to the letter of the law. Like, no, you don't give begrudgingly like that. You don't do it like that. You do it out of, as, as an act of love. This business of retaliation is one that infects the heart of man. It fills the heart with bitterness and the mind with resentment and hatred. Uh, George Mueller said this, quote, There was a day wherein I died, utterly died to George Mueller and his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval of blame of even my brethren and friends. And since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. That's a good place to be. Because they're, they're, you're not given, you know, to um, the influence of anyone. But more so given and inclined to listen to what the Lord speaks and what he means and what he desires to work out in your own life. Jesus was teaching his disciples then, as he is this morning, that we're not only to seek, uh, to, uh, not only not to seek revenge, but we are to seek the well-being of those who would seek to harm us personally. In the end, it protects your own heart. It protects your own mind as you continue to seek the glory of God and you apply this. That's why I'm saying as, as we go through and you have someone insult you, hold back, practice self-control. If someone sues you, and whether it be just or unjust, it really doesn't matter, do you want to take a little bit? Be willing to give it. No worries. I trust my Lord. He is my provider, and He will give me exactly what I need. For the person who forces you to do one thing, you are compelled and required to do that. Don't don't do it begrudgingly. Don't seek to retaliate even in that moment. You need to go with them one. Go the extra mile. Go another one, and do it with the right heart. And then, of course, don't hold back from giving to those who are definitely in need. Let's talk about enemies, and more importantly, love. Verse 43, the Lord continues. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, let me just say this. 
is that if you search through the scriptures, if you go through the Old Testament, you will not find anywhere in there where it says, hate your enemy. You won't find it. But this is what they were being taught. Will you find love your neighbor? In the Old Testament, it's the Old Testament. Will you find it? What do you guys think? Will you find in Scripture in the Old Testament, will you find it said, love your enemy? Love your neighbor? Love the foreigner? The answer is yes. Leviticus, of all places, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, with that verse alone, the Jewish people would say, Well, our neighbor is our own people, not anyone else. So therefore, we will only teach to love our neighbor, fellow Israelites. But well, let's go to Leviticus, same chapter, another verse, verse 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. By the way, I am the Lord your God. Right? That goes out, right? I mean, you can go to the Old Testament and see how it is that the Lord, from the beginning in the law, is defining who a neighbor is. Hate your enemies actually was an invention of the rabbis because they said that neighbors, again, only meant Israelites. Again, I remind you of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. That's all you have to... You don't have to look any farther than that. The Jews hated the Gentiles so much that they called them dogs. Imagine that. Oh, such loving, godly people, right? It's like, we're the Israelites and you guys are all dogs. It's like, they're actually taught to love the Jew, but hate everyone else. Even regard them as an enemy. That's what they were taught. Such hate infects the human heart. There's nothing good in and of it. God demonstrated his love toward all mankind through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. So he starts out with that because they all knew what the teachers of the time would teach. And he went on to say, but I say, verse 44, there's this common indiscriminate grace that is demonstrated to all persons, regardless of their faith. It says it here. Listen, you ought to also practice and apply God's common grace and love toward all mankind. Because he said here, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. That's called common grace. Because if he did not apply common grace to all mankind, guess what? We, our lives would not be sustained. He would judge us immediately. And we would, you know what? For some, yeah, the sun will rise and it'll, it'll warm you and it'll, this and that. But for all of you people who are unbelievers, absolutely not. You are miserable until you come to the Lord. Oh, that's going to just draw me unto the Lord, Right? No, it's the love of Christ that draws us 
unto himself, unto him. It's the love of Christ. So we have this common grace. It's indiscriminate that we see. And the Lord describes it. He refers to it. That's exactly the type of love that we ought to have as Christians. Not only are Christians to love those in the world with a Christ-like love, but we are to love a person even if they are an enemy or injure you. Isn't that humanly impossible? I mean, we can try it. To return love for love, oh, that's natural. That's easy. But to return good for evil is divine, and only God can put this kind of love in the heart of a human being. Oh, it's amazing when someone comes to the Lord. In the things that used to bother them, the things that used to, uh, they, they used to find offensive are no longer offensive in, personally. Now what they find offensive is, is that what, uh, which is offensive to the Lord. Those, those things, I mean, the whole life changes of a person who has surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ completely. So what was humanly impossible is now possible with God. Why? Because all things are possible with God. With man, yeah, things are impossible. In the flesh, without the spirit. Now what we see here is that you can't counteract evil with evil. Like two, two negatives don't make a positive. Not in God's economy. Right? As far as this is concerned. You have someone that curses you, what do you do? Oh, God bless you, right? <laughs> you wish him good. And you do do that. You, you think about where that person is. Why that person is even doing that. Does God love that person just as much as he loves you? I would say no. <laughs> he does. He loves that person just as much as he loves you. When a person does you wrong, wrong him back, right? No, no, we just got out of the teaching of retaliation. No. What do you do? You do him good. You do him good. When a person persecutes you, what do you do? I pray for Gabe. <laughs> you, you pray for him. What, what does that do to you? Because really, this is, this is what's happening here. When, we're, when we look at God's wisdom, it's like, man, you are brilliant, God. One more time, you're brilliant, you're amazing, you're so good. And we look at something like this, and we're like, what, what does it do to our hearts? You curse me, I'm going to bless you back. You do me wrong, I'm going to do something good for you. I'm going to bless you. Oh, you persecute you, I'm going to pray for you. It, it, it keeps your heart in line with God's. That's what it does. It gives you the right perspective. It helps you understand what it means to walk and abide in Christ. To walk simply means to live in accordance with the Lord and to bless him and to glorify him. That's what it does. And by the way, that is the kind of grace and love that is attractive.
to other people. Those are the seeds that you're planting. Those are the the very things that you're doing in your life are the very things that bless and glorify the Lord. And that honors him. That's what honors him. God hates the sin but loves the sinner. This is why the Father sent his Son. He wishes that none should perish, even the person who's your enemy and persecuting you, even them. And in verse 45, it says, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. Now, this is not saying you have to do this in order to be sons of your Father. Please keep in mind who his audience was. He went and he sat down. His disciples came to him and then he opened his mouth and he taught. They were his disciples. You could say they were already Christians. They were believers. So in context, Jesus is saying that this displays their love for God and outwardly proves a new heart in Christ and that they, as we are this morning, are truly new creatures in Christ. That's what it does. Why? Because again, it's humanly impossible to do this genuinely outside of doing so with the Spirit of God. That's the only way you could do it. By possessing the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God residing in you. That's the only way. Are we to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us to reflect the love of God? Or, because we say that often, we, we, need, to, we need to share the love of God. Right? We need to share the love. We do. But is it for the purpose of sharing the love of God? Or really, ultimately, sharing the God of love. Think about that. Because if we share, as we share, only with that perspective, we're sharing the love of God. You know what happens oftentimes? It is you get the accolade. Right? You get the pat on the back. You're so good. You're so just giving. You're this and you're that. But when you have the perspective and understand that no, you're, you're not just sharing the love of God, but you're sharing the God of love. Because that's more important with that person. They need the person of God. They need the person of Jesus Christ in their lives. That's what they need to see. That's what they need, what, who they need to receive. Then it's a whole different story. Again, it's all about perspective. How we're going about doing what we're doing need to keep in mind that it's not just going through the motions and sharing the love of God, but it's purposefully showing and demonstrating and sharing the God of love. Because you could do all the good works in the world and never share Christ. And we, and we can't do that. Verses 46 and 47 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? By the way, tax collectors were despised. They were considered the lowest of the low. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Again, going back to Gentiles. Going back to Gentiles. Oh. It's good music. No. But those two verses... What, what, what do they tell us? Is that real godly love will learn and know how to love the unlovely. The unlovely. Um, again, if, if all you're doing is reciprocating what you're receiving, you're basically mirroring someone else's action toward you. 
well, the only people that I'm going to love are those who love me. You know, if they don't love me, they don't belong in my life, and that's it, you know. Well, then you have no opportunity to demonstrate a true godly love. That's all that you're surrounding yourself with, and you're not exposing yourself and allowing you yourself to be around others who are unlovely. <laughs> like, Ugh, you know, it's said that those who um, kind of rub you wrong are basically used as sandpaper by God to sometimes mold you and shape you into the image of Christ. Sometimes it's really coarse sandpaper and sometimes it's really fine sandpaper, but it's used nonetheless. Are we to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us to reflect the love of God or to reflect the God of love? Right? Well, this is where we are showing, we're demonstrating this real godly love to the unlovely. It's natural for me to respond to love and pretty much anyone can have that kind of love is what Jesus was teaching here toward others. But Jesus is saying there's no real reward for that. It's like, oh man. So everything, like what I've been doing as far as those people that love me and I'm showing you know, your love toward them. You know, yeah, there, there's really no reward for that. Okay. Genuine godly love is to love the unlovely, the enemy and the person who persecutes us. This is the person who Jesus desires to reach through you to know salvation in Jesus Christ. And then verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, wow. Perfect? Perfect? The answer is, yep, perfect. But it means whole or complete, not without flaw. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean without flaw. It means mature, complete, whole. Not thinking or behaving or acting like a child. We are to know and possess a complete, mature love in Christ and express that toward all people, just as God does. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means what, what that verse is saying is that while we were still God's enemies, while we were still opposed to him, he demonstrated his love toward us and sent his, his son to die on the cross. He loved the unlovely. He loves the unlovely even today. If you kept this alone, as we started this section going into these six illustrations, these six examples, if you kept this one alone, your righteousness would exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees at that time. After all this interpretation of the law, what was the point of it all? Because really, we're going to wrap things, things up right now. What was the point of it all? Was this to show what God requires of his followers? It's like, hey, it's not only this, but it's and then some. It's not just what you're teaching. By the way, you're not teaching it accurately. But this is the spirit of law. This is actually what I meant by it. Was it to show us this is how we are to live on a daily basis? And the answer is yes. 
in that Christians are to live their lives in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord according to the right meaning, in the interpretation, right meaning, the interpretation of the Word of God. But that isn't all that was being communicated here by Jesus. Our relation to the two, true interpretation of the law is that we are revealed to be sinners who are guilty of breaking the law. And we can never make ourselves righteous by doing good works. Because if you thought that what they were teaching was difficult, what Jesus just went over, that was even more difficult. We can never keep it perfectly. First Timothy 1.5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so, I wanted to point out that it just wasn't Jesus clarifying and interpreting Scripture to correct the teachers of the time. It wasn't just so we would understand how it was that He required of us to live our lives daily. How it was that we were to respond in situations that he made examples of through this section of his Sermon on the Mount? It was more than that. Hey, listen, not only can you not keep the law, but listen, as I explain this, you you can't even keep that perfectly. But you are to be mature. You are to be complete and whole, perfect, just as I am whole, just as I am perfect. You are to be holy as I am holy. You are to desire righteousness, to live a life that is pleasing unto the Lord. But you can only do that by knowing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and for the Holy Spirit to abide in your life. That's the only way. That is the only way that this would all be possible. This can only be known through belief in Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He died, and after the third day He rose from the grave. And after 40 days, He ascended to heaven, and today sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for you and I. So, as we wrap up, that was the purpose. For us to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord, but also to help us understand that we need the Lord for all of this. To live lives that are pleasing to Him. Today, God may be calling you to place your trust in Him. Maybe a deeper trust. Or maybe just an initial trust in Him. To surrender your life to Him. Today may may be that day of salvation for you. Because the Bible says that God is love. And in John 3.16, we know that all too well, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God demonstrated his love toward us. And then Jesus demonstrated this very thing that, we're, that we went over this morning and have the, the past few weeks. He demonstrated it as he walked this earth. And he's calling out to you to surrender your lives to him, to trust in him, to know that he will provide. He will give you the strength. He will give you the wisdom. He will give you the opportunities as we live lives in obedience to Him. We honor Him, and He will be glorified.
And so I pray if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that, that you, you would come to that place to where that love is drawing you unto him, unto him. And that as you surrender your life to him, what happens is you confess your sins to him because the sins are the ones that are separating you from the Lord. You confess to him those sins, absolutely, they're separating me from you. I, I agree with you. And I ask for forgiveness. I repent of those sins. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. And, and you can do that in your seat right now. If you've gone astray and you want to recommit your life to Christ, then today is the day. Do it now. Don't wait till later. And for all of us as a church, I pray that the very word of God would continue to strengthen you and stir you to bring glory to the Lord and help you to walk out your life honoring him. Father, we, Lord, again, thank you for this moment this morning as we have gone through these last few verses in Matthew chapter 5. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to Lord, to apply your word in, in context to our lives to bless and glorify you, to know how to live our lives in such a way that perhaps someone else would be led to you, would surrender their lives to you, perhaps maybe even a, just a, a seed that is planted. But Lord, may we live lives that are truly honoring to you, a blessing to you. And so, Father, we commit commit ourselves to you, and we thank you, Lord, and we give you all the praise and all the honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.